Welcome to The Wondering Mind, a mental health podcast. I'm your host, Emily Elizabeth. On this show, we have candid conversations in hopes to break stigmas and show you that you are not the only one who struggles with your mental health. By sharing our stories, we can let others know that healing is possible if you work hard and put your wondering mind to it. So let's get started. Do you want to be a guest on the show? Do you have a mental health story that you'd like to share? Email us at thewonderingmindpodcast at gmail.com. Are you looking for a new way to relax and center your mind? Do you live in Louisville, Kentucky? Be sure to check out Weightless Float Center in Distillery Commons. And when booking online, use promo code TWM for 20% off your first session. In today's episode, I chat with actress and mental health advocate Kaylee Page Reese. Today, she opens up about her eating disorder, how she was able to begin to heal from it, how the entertainment industry impacted her eating disorder and mental health, and much more. So if you'd like to learn about Kaylee's mental health journey, then keep on listening. Hey there. Thank you so much for tuning in to The Wondering Mind, a mental health podcast. Just a quick disclaimer before we get started. This show is in no way meant to treat or diagnose any type of mental illness. I'm not a mental health professional, simply someone that just felt called to share what I've learned and am learning along my mental health journey. Thank you so much for your support. Now let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Wondering Mind podcast. I'm your host, Emily Elizabeth, and today I am joined by Kaylee Page Reese, and she is an actress and a mental health advocate, and I'm so thrilled to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining me, and welcome. No, thank you. I'm so, so excited to be on here and get to chat to you, and uh, yeah, I'm really excited. Me too. I think it's so cool because you reached out, and Mm -hmm. we had a pre-interview chat, and we were chatting and talking about stuff, and it came up that Ella Greenwood was previously on my show and (laughs) turns out that you all work together and you're working together on faulty roots so it's just such a small world it's like (laughs) yeah it's it's kind of scary actually how small it is I was talking to someone yesterday and we kind of just were chatting over a couple of hours and all these things are coming in and it is mad like especially with me and Ella I think with what we do with mental health and that as well and kind of what we're I I suppose as young females in the industry you find that our paths cross a lot kind of strangely I just think it's nice for me and Ella to be teaming up I think it's been a nice thing actually we've been working together now for almost a year and it's it is really empowering when you're kind of working with another female and you're kind of watching each other's journeys I think it's um really empowering and and everything she's done for the last year she's done amazing and and yeah I think it really boosts you and, and I think it's nice to have somebody that you can 
message or speak to and go you know are you feeling the same or you know are you kind of on the same wavelength so yeah definitely yeah I bet it's cool because you know she's young and you're young and you're both female and in a such a male dominated industry I bet it's a breath Mm -hmm. of fresh air to actually work with a female co-worker and have her you know leading everything and I bet it like you said it's really empowering so it's so cool. Yeah. I'm so glad that I've connected with both of you and I'm so excited for the listeners to get to learn more about you and your journey and your mental health advocacy and all the things that you're doing. So my first question to you, I want to talk a little bit about your acting career because I'm fascinated mm-hmm. by it. So what made you want to pursue a career in acting? I think it's when I look back, I the kind of earliest memory I have of kind of acting all that sort of thing is kind of walking back from school or walking to school and like creating a kind of story in my head or maybe I'd kind of I have very vivid dreams as well so maybe I'd had a dream and I'd like carry it on whilst I was walking to school and I'd kind of carry on this story in my head and sometimes like I could get to school and it could lead to me like crying like I was so invested in this story <laughs> I mean, no. and yeah it's so strange and I think that's where it started and I don't know I think there's this really odd thing where I suppose especially separately to that with kind of advocating for mental health and things like that that actors kind of enjoy being themselves if that makes sense or there's this expectation that they're going to be kind of really funny and full of personality and there's definitely people like that but for me like I want to act because I find humans fascinating like human behavior you know different humans how everyone can be so kind of different and unique and I just think it's a privilege to kind of be paid and allowed the experience to spend months in a character and to understand different people and experiences and and hide yourself you know when you're kind of acting or you're on a job you kind of forget about yourself and like I was just saying to you before with kind of my own family things you you kind of forget about that wider you know kind of world and even your family or your loved ones and you just become all encompassed and I think it it becomes quite addictive I think it's quite a um once you've done it you kind of just want to do it again and again and that's always you find actors saying about the challenge and wanting different roles it's it is that kind of taste of exploring really so yeah I think that's such a cool perspective. I don't know if I, I think actually I've heard a couple of actors and actresses explain it like that, where it's kind of, you're embodying this other personality and you're getting to venture on an escape almost outside of yourself and dive into someone else's life and temporarily live that life. It's, it's kind of a really crazy concept. If you think about it, you're trying to like embody someone else's personality and yeah it's kind of crazy it's yeah I I can see how that would get kind of um, addicting and how you'd kind of want to continue to one-up every job that you've had in regards to the challenge exactly and it's like it's that we all do it you know you naturally kind of sit at a bus stop where you're sat somewhere on a train and you're watching people and it's that idea that you're kind of given a script that is someone else like who you watch and you have to I don't know, try and kind of embody that. And I don't get me wrong, especially in the industry, it's it's hard because sometimes you're given the same character again and again, or you're kind of not always challenged. The way you look plays a big kind of part on what roles you get or you get auditions for. Especially now in the kind of last, I say like five years, I think that the kind of characters are getting broader and broader and there's more in them, especially female driven characters. I think there's a lot more out there than perhaps even when I started or as as a kid watching films, there's a lot more scope now for female driven characters, which is lovely. 
It is lovely because, again, in such a male-dominated industry, to bring females into more unique roles and put them in the forefront and more movies and TV shows, I think, is something that we need to continue to do and to promote. So that's great. Absolutely. So I, I can only imagine that working in the entertainment industry can get intense at times, can mm-hmm. weigh you down at times. You know, it can be all fun and games. And then the other half, you're just like, wow, <laughs> this is a yeah. lot. So how has working in the entertainment industry affected your mental health? I think in it on a daily basis, I think, you know, for me, kind of, especially when I've worked with Ella, there's different things that have affected me, you know, very much so, which we're going to speak about more on kind of the eating disorder side and, and, and food. But I think definitely something that I haven't had since younger, which I have due to the industry, I suppose is that I have anxious tendencies that I didn't realize I had. And I think, you know, when people think that you're acting, they think it's incredibly glamorous, like you're on set every day. And it's actually, you know, a small proportion of time that you're actually on kind of a set acting. And a lot of other time you can be doing prep work or you can just be sat at home waiting for the auditions and kind of waiting for your agent to call. And I think like those times people don't get that you are just kind of sat at home like you're you know it it can be really lonely especially so for me personally you know I've been with my partner almost nine years and um he kind of has a very nine to five job and we chose to kind of live in the country not in the city so I'm not surrounded by creatives it's only when I choose to kind of go up to the city so therefore I'm surrounded by a lot of people who are nine to five which means that you know, no one's doing anything similar to me. I'm very much kind of in the house. It helps with the production company, but you can sometimes feel very lonely and it can, yeah, it can really get you down. And and there's kind of those depressive tendencies, like not wanting to get up sometimes. And I have really odd anxious tendencies. Like I have a thing about weirdly TV shows and films. Like I cannot I cannot watch them without knowing the end or without looking up what happens, which I I really didn't realize until genuinely like a month ago when I Googled what that actually means, which is kind of control, like, you know, you need to control your emotions. And I I had that really bad, even like last night, like I watched the new film on Amazon Prime with like Michael B. Jordan and I looked it up. Like I just couldn't, I just needed to know. (laughs) (laughs) Weird things like that that have suddenly started to come out in the last kind of couple of years even things you know I'm really strange about like my bed like it can't be creased like it has to all be kind of tucked in just really odd odd things that have come out and I wouldn't typically say I'm I'm an anxious person but I definitely have these tendencies that kick in especially when I'm at home a lot or I haven't got a job on or my brain's kind of left to wonder so yeah yeah no that I get that and I wonder if it has to do with you know if you're an actress or an actor you are you land a job and you read the scripts all the way through, right? So you yeah. you know from the get-go like what's gonna happen and and you know what your role in this part is. And so it, I wonder if it kind of like seeps into your actual real life where you're like, well, I like being in control and knowing what's going on here. So I kind of want everything else to <laughs> to be that yeah. way too. So that makes sense. And you know, regardless if you're an actor or an actress, I think a lot of people can relate to that that tendency of, of feeling like they need to know, feeling like they need to be in control. Cause there's so many people, myself included for a very long time. I've been working on it though. You know, the fear of the unknown and not knowing yeah. it, it can really just throw people through a loop. So 
completely it's like we all have those moments I say like once or twice a year when you think about like the universe or you think about your life and kind of after that and I don't know about you but you know there's always once or twice a year I could be with my mum like I could be with my dad whatever and suddenly like I'll start talking about it and it gets too much and you kind of have to be like right let's just close it on that none of us know anything can move on (laughs) yeah yeah no, it's, it's creepy. It's scary. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of have to reel yourself back in in those moments. And, you know, in everyday life with certain things, too, you kind of just have to remind yourself that as long as I am together and have my yeah. tools in my toolbox and have my mental health in check, you know, I can navigate through. Exactly. I get that. It's hard. Yeah. I think sometimes, you know, it's like you don't need to know everything that I think there's this like misconception. I, I think it's education. And I think it's, all of us now have this, we want to be as, as broad and educated and, and know as much as possible. And, and I don't know, there's just this, this idea that we all have to be all knowledgeable, don't you? Whereas, you know, it sounds really silly, but I look at my puppy and I think like, she just thinks about going for a wee and a poo. Like she doesn't, <laughs> you know, she, she's quite happy. Like she might try and find a toy, but, and how's her life any different to mine like even of all the things that maybe I know by this age what difference like what difference of quality of life have, have we got I know it sounds really strange but no, I, yeah I, get I that. do think about that yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah I think humans were just so complicated I think we make it too much too too complicated we we complicate things yeah. more so than necessary okay so I kind of want to dive into something that we discussed in our pre-interview chat. And it's kind of what our conversation is going to evolve into. And I think it's really important topic to discuss, especially since you're in the entertainment industry, it kind of all goes hand in hand. So we were speaking and you had mentioned that for a good portion of your life, you had struggled with an eating disorder. And I can Mm -hmm. only imagine being in the entertainment industry. And even just a few minutes ago, you said that, you know, certain roles you won't land because of the way you look. A lot of the entertainment industry, it's based off of their appearance, which can be Mm. very demeaning and can really mess with your mental health. So do you want to elaborate and explain to the listeners kind of what your journey with this eating disorder has been like? So my eating disorder didn't come about because of the job I do. I should probably say that first. It's kind of something that I've suffered with since a very young age, since around the age of four or five. And it's one of them, it's it's a struggle because I'm happy to kind of openly talk about it, but I also kind of have this switch. So the idea of how it started, I've not yet been able to want to delve into too much, kind of why as a child that happened. You know, I was brought up abroad and um, I just chuck my lunches kind of over the fence at the school. Like I I just had no interest in eating. I just skipped meals all the time and, and that that feeling of when you're really, I'm, I'm sure everyone's had it, you know, when we skip a meal and we, we suddenly get that in our tummy and it, mm-hmm. you feel a bit ill and it, and it kind of gratifies you when you're kind of in an eating, so it shows you're doing something right. It's like, that's the feeling you, I won't go too far into it just in case of people suffering who are listening to this, but yeah, it's something that I suffered with until I was around 11 and then my parents kind of cottoned onto it and started to get in like kind of dinner ladies to watch me kind of eat my lunch and, and things like that which didn't necessarily work. And then it kind of changed to when I was around 13, 14, like kind of more binging. So that I did, I still wouldn't eat my lunch, but I'd actually go to the canteen and buy four chocolate cakes instead. And that's what I'd eat. And then it kind of delved from there. And I still kind of love performing, 
but sometimes they so for example I'd have like a ballet class on a Friday night and I'd walk to Lidl's it's like a supermarket over here I'd walk to Lidl's and buy like two packets of cookies and free chocolate bars and try and binge them before my ballet class so then for the whole of my class I felt sick and it was I don't know it was really strange and then I kind of started trying to be sick but it's never something that I could do but I'm sure if I could have if that makes sense it would have been something I'd have looked into which is horrible to say I wasn't someone who could easily do it so then therefore the binging never had an outlet it just carried on binging binging and then and then the issues came in over puberty where you know I wasn't a small person I'm only you know I'm not a big person but I do have a figure and that really upset me as a teenager especially I think because dance was such a passion for me at that age and, and people around me I kind of hated in any way getting kind of boobs or a bum or kind of my hips and things like that and I I think that comes from things that at that age I think the skinny was very in you know people like Paris Hilton and people like that it was very popular to be kind of extremely skinny and you were told if you were going to make it in dance and things like that you know you had to kind of look like a rake really You you had to have no figure and the industry is certainly not helped it but it hasn't made it worse so obviously as I've got older I've become aware of the issues I've had and I've kind of sought therapy as to try and help me stop kind of binging but there's still days there's still you know I only had a day last week where I ate four easter eggs that I had left because they were in the cupboard and I felt that it was time for them to go so yeah that was my breakfast for the day and yet again got that feeling and it is quite scary sometimes when you look it up because I think I, I kind of sought help for it and and that kind of sick feeling you have when you're binging is actually your body telling you that you're poisoning yourself like you're actually kind of that's what you're doing to your body and yeah it's it's hard to figure out when you've done that for many years to kind of help you love yourself because you you've kind of hurt your body for so long especially kind of not knowing you are as a kid like I don't think I completely understood what I was doing It, it was just very much I don't want that like I won't have that or I want the sugar I want the cake that's what I want not related to emotions or my life or just my mind in general and then the industry it's definitely kicked in the last year or two actually because I so I'm 24 now but I still go up for very young roles so I still self-tape for 15 16 year olds and it's definitely been a concern of mine in the last kind of year I'd say starting to think about my figure that those age groups don't look perhaps how somebody in their mid-20s does. So it has, weirdly enough, I, I was saying it to my partner, I was going, I need to make sure that I stay, if anything, I could lose a size because, you know, when I was 15, like I didn't look like a fully developed, you know, but actually that's not my responsibility to think. Like if I don't then get a role for that age, that I shouldn't be thinking about that. Does that make sense? But yeah. you become you know you want the jobs you know if that's the self-tapes you're getting that's what you want and I'm very aware that my friend who I worked with around three years ago she bless her she she had the most you know she's beautiful and she um had a lovely kind of delicate baby face but then she was more developed on the chest and she would never get any role in a period drama or any younger role just because they saw her chest size as being too big for that age and when you are met with things like that and you're aware of people who maybe don't get these roles for certain reasons or you know as a woman in her mid-20s I'm still working with girls who are you know 
one of my bestest friends, bless her, Molly. I started working with her when she's 16 and she's 18 now. And I love her dearly. I feel bad even mentioning her. But, you know, she's a very petite young woman who who isn't yet. And then when I'm working with her to play the same age or a year older, kind of seven years older than her, it does start getting your brain thinking because I feel like, you know, in, in a way I have this responsibility to maybe not look my age, but to look younger so it definitely does play a part of it it's not what kind of started it but it can trigger it if that makes sense yeah it totally makes sense if you know that the only way you're going to get a role is you know based off of the way that you look or even if you get the role but like you said in the back of your mind you're thinking well I still don't feel as though I look the part like enough Mm -hmm. there's more that I could do that's really harmful you know, the way that they and the fact that your friend didn't get the job or lots of mm. jobs because of her breast size yeah. is it's horrible. Yeah, I mean, it is. Yeah. And it's I mean, it's even worse for me, weirdly enough, like I started off in more of the dance musical theater world and transitioning into the you know, and there's a lot of other issues. Don't get me wrong in kind of the film and TV sphere. But as a community, I do find it to be a lot, you know, safe. Like I feel a lot better in this industry whereas I've got a friend who has kind of been dropped from an agency for her size and told that she'd only be able to make it on stage if she lost free stone and that was kind of a part of the clause of her joining the agency and this was only a year a year and a half ago like I'm good friends with this like it happened so and you don't believe it happens and then you're speaking to someone and they kind of just say it and you're like wait that's someone I've heard in a film or someone I've heard that to me just doesn't happen anymore but it yeah, it very much does. It's still a major part of the industry, which I don't understand at all. It's almost as though the industry is trying to make perfection real. Yeah. And they're wanting to consistently across the board portray a certain type of image that's just yeah. not realistic. You know, yeah. women have big breasts, women have small breasts, women have curves, women don't have curves. I mean, Everyone is so unique and different, and that should not matter. What what should only matter is your talent for yeah. being able to act and play the part. It's, it's so frustrating, I think, especially even things like the concern you have, especially with magazines and the media portrayal and kind of like, you know, someone bounced back like three weeks after giving birth and like oh, yeah. they're back on set and they're like doing an underwear <laughs> shot and, and there's like no cellulite. And, and I don't know, it's just so, it's so in your head because, and I don't understand like I physically like this would be honestly such an aim of mine in the next five years is these people who write these articles whether they're rating golden globe kind of outfits whether they're tearing someone apart for how they look in a bikini on the beach like I would love to just meet a handful of them and just talk to them about their family like see who they are and I'd love to see them like if they're you know a man or a woman get a picture of their husband or their wife like in a bikini and and pick them apart and put them in front of millions of people. And I know that sounds horrid, but I don't think that journalists who work in this sort of media understand what they're doing. And I I don't think anyone deserves it. I do understand that there's an element of difference between somebody who's maybe a reality star or chooses to be an influencer and therefore puts themselves out there. 
but still they're not asking to be critiqued and bullied and have their body like picked apart and especially our industry actors and that we just want to play parts on a screen we want people to just sit and enjoy and and kind of forget about their lives and their woes for you know a couple of hours not to you know be harassed and kind of death threats and be told that they look like shit basically like I don't I don't understand as a human being why you feel the need to do like I couldn't sit there I, I, as a job I couldn't sit and write kind of articles depicting people and telling them they look like crap or that that color doesn't go together or they shouldn't have gone for feathers this year and I, I just it baffles me it baffles me and every time I see it it just angers me more and more you know and it should anchor you because you wonder what what these people are thinking. It's like clearly the journalists are getting paid decent amount of money in order to pick these people apart because you would have to be a really soulless human being yeah. to just do that, you know, for just a regular amount of pay, which is doesn't justify it. It makes it almost worse because they're, you know willing to do this because they want money so they're willing you know it's profit over people yet again here we are profit over people and yeah yeah, the whole picking apart thing on the red carpets on the beach it's like that's a thing with actors and actresses and celebrities and influencers like you said you know yes they're in the limelight yes they chose this life but they did not choose to be torn down all they're trying to do is put a little light into the world and uplift And for some reason, the insecure, miserable people, you know, behind the screens or behind the articles or whatever, feel as though they can just portray their insecurities onto these people. Oh, they'll never see it. Oh, you know, whatever. No, they see it. Yeah. These are real people. Exactly. And it's so normal. You know, when they say, you know, kind of when they take pictures of people with like no makeup on they're like whoa that was all of us like 17 going to college no makeup on saturday night glammed up out out going clubbing like that's life and that's the same for anyone whether they're out at events or glammed up or whether they're putting their trash out and they've got like whatever on that's every single person we all do this like man or woman or anyone so yeah I have no understanding of the culture. I don't know who reads it. I genuinely don't know because I'm not aware of anyone who reads these kind of magazines or takes notice of it. So I don't even know who is funding this to keep happening, if I'm honest. I know clickbait online, don't get me wrong, I understand that the kind of clicks are very easy on Facebook, especially. But when it comes to actual kind of magazines themselves and things like that in print, I, I don't understand how it kind of keeps going. I don't either, because with social media now and basically everyone having access to everyone's life, especially celebrities, the paparazzi and the magazines, like the tabloids, like I don't know how they're still in business. And I I hope that they go under because there is absolutely it's so detrimental to mental health. You know, look at Britney Spears, look at all the celebrities that you know 10 20 years ago were being chased princess diana i mean people's lives have been drastically impacted by people's words and actions and you know whether you're famous or you're an actor or an actress or just a regular person in society it doesn't matter everyone at the end of the day is all human and we really need to break this idea of perfectionism and you know because eating disorders could 
no longer be a thing if people mm. would just be more accepting across the board universally for all body types. And I'm very yeah. glad that, you know, people are starting to promote that, but not enough. Yeah. And, and I think a big thing for people with eating disorders is they think they're going to look like these perfect people. But actually, you know, you you do, you look malnutrition, like you don't, you know, I know you, you don't look like what you think you're going to look like, you know, and that comes into, don't get me wrong, body dysmorphia and things like that. But, but you don't, you know, and this perfectionism that we talk about is spending hours in a clinic doing your eyelashes, your eyebrows, your hair, your nails, you know, getting injections. And that's not slating that. I'm not slating it. And everyone's welcome to do it. But, you know, there is a fine line between perfectionism and an eating disorder. Like in our heads, it somehow twists and I don't know how it does it. I don't know how the kind of media allows it or it, it does become that, but it, it does. And it, and it's yeah. not, it's not in any way. And it's sad. I feel like yeah. there's just a lack of transparency. I feel as though now celebrities and actors and actresses and more people, influencers are becoming more transparent about the work that they yeah. are getting done, which is good. They should, you know, own up to it. If you're going to do yeah. something and you know, you have a million people following you, whom of yeah. which could be very impressionable young teenagers that mm -hmm. again, could be struggling with an eating disorder or body dysmorphia or just having insecurities, you know, about whatever, you know, they need to be transparent because yeah. like you said, you know, the eating disorder can start to kick in and they, they'll mm -hmm. think that they'll end up one way when in reality, the person they're trying to mimic and look like had all this work done. Yeah. And just naturally as well. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I, I feel like I wish there was like a poster or some sort of thing. You could give a talk and be like, you are a teenager. Like you're going to have spots. You might have oily skin. Like you might not be the best form that you feel you are as a teenager because you're literally going through puberty. Like everyone goes through it and you're looking up to these people in their, you know, over 18, kind of in their twenties. They've gone through that. They're like in their peak of their lives now and then they're gonna like age lovely you know it I don't know there's this this natural element that everyone forgets that it's like you you can't get rid of nature and it's natural in puberty to go through these things it's natural to look younger in your 20s and gracefully get older and there's nothing wrong with that that also grates me just to go on to another topic that grates me oh yeah it's the idea of aging for women it's such a massive thing in my head that I really struggle with and um, it's probably not help because I think my mom struggles with it like I think my mom struggled with aging and she's kind of in her mid-40s now and I think it's you know she's starting to kind of get these aches and pains and things like that and you know she said to me you know it's not always the nicest thing because you're told kind of your 20s and your 30s is the best and you're young and you're everything and then what are your 40s what are your 50s then suddenly you're old and you're in your six you know yeah life kind of gets away from you and there's so much pressure put in these kind of like teen and 20s years and then it's like you're just forgotten as you get older and you're kind of whatever and you're um I don't know if America they ever use this phrase but kind of mutton dressed as lamb so it's older sheep looking like young sheep is basically the phrase. But it's the idea that you could have a woman in her 40s that's actually wearing a miniskirt, but she's just trying to look like the girl in her 20s. And it's horrible because actually, if she, you know, if she wants to, why can't she? Like, why does life stop once people get older? And yet for men, 
they're like you know they're seen as if anything men age and they look better like it's this perception in the media that men age and they look amazing like the whatever the phrase is the silver fox yes. like, <laughs> yeah women you don't have this you kind of have these you know minor like couple of examples like j-lo or like jennifer aniston but they look like they're 20 like it's not like they've aged and we're celebrating them for their like gray and white hair and and just looking naturally beautiful we're literally praising them because they still look like they're in their 20s which is so unnatural for anyone who doesn't maybe have their skin tone or their money or anything like that and it's just really annoying (laughs) Yeah, this is so powerful. I'm so glad you brought this up because again, with the entertainment industry, they do. They praise women for doing the work and making themselves look younger when instead, like you said, they should be praising women for just aging gracefully and ma- and normalizing that. Yeah. But unfortunately, it, I guess society as a whole, we're just so fucking scared of getting old and yeah. wrinkly and not looking quote unquote perfect anymore and yeah. losing that whole you know, mojo, if you will. Mm -hmm. And I really like that you, you know, you said that, you know, in your 20s and 30s, you still have time and you still look good in whatever you're young. But what about Mm -hmm. your 40s, 50s and 60s? And I I can relate to that because I just turned 32 in February Mm -hmm. and, you know, I'm nearing my mid 30s. And it's now I'm starting to think, holy shit, like only, you know, you know, a few more years till I'm 35 and then I'll be 40. And then, then what? Like it's society putting this anxious pressure on us that like, Oh God, like God forbid you turn 40. Like, yeah. You know, and you don't have money like the Kardashians to keep yourself up. Like, what are you going to do? Exactly. And I was just going to say, it goes even wider than just your looks. You know, if Mm -hmm. you haven't got the house that, you know, the husband or the wife, whichever way, the dog, the mansion, whatever, there's so much like societal pressure when it comes to finances and looks like that is everything Mm -hmm. and you even see you know from people my age from my perspective as well is that people now the debt of life is so much more as well you know like like my mum said when she was younger you know you afforded what you afforded and if you went without you know your friends didn't judge you there wasn't this kind of cycle of things whereas now it's like we're all in a show it is like we're in the Truman show it's like who has the best house who has the best car that we can take a picture for Instagram and don't get me wrong like I am very much on Instagram and I'm not somebody you know I've got friends I've got a friend I will say her name bless her um Lily Skorowski I'm gonna say her name she's gonna hate me for this but she is incredible like she has no social medias she is an incredible actress she's in massive tv shows does no interviews you wouldn't be able to find her she's just amazing and I praise her so much for that and I am not that gallant I'm not there and I am on the social media and I do treat it more for work than I do kind of my own life but still I'm a part of the thing that I dislike if that makes sense I do feel like it is a little show. It's like a little PowerPoint presentation that we did at school and we all just do it to show people that we used to know that we're doing okay, that we're doing well. Look what I'm doing. Look what I'm doing, you know, so that you can bump into them in the street and and know, you know, be like, I know what you're up to, you know. <laughs> it's strange. It's it is really- strange. And this plays into potential eating disorder situations yeah. too. And insecurities and depression and anxiety and suicide because young people and people my age, people your age, it doesn't matter how old you are. We're all human and we all, you know, compare 
And so the bigger that social media gets and the more, like you said, of a show that we feel as though we have to put on, the more detrimental it can become. And I think, you know, there are ways to make social media pleasant and positive. Yeah. But for the most part, a lot of people get so trapped into the cycle that it becomes their life and they basically live their life online. Yeah. And I think, you know, for younger teenagers who are, like you said, going through puberty, trying to figure out who they are, looking at their body changing and not knowing what's going on, wondering why they don't look, you know, like everyone else on Instagram, it's really harmful. And yeah. we just have to be careful and, and continue to have these conversations because people need to remember that Instagram are highlight reels. Yeah. People are yeah. not going to show you the hard moments, the moments where they're crying or, you know, having a breakdown or having a difficult time or the moments where they don't get the job that they wanted. They're only going to show you the good. Absolutely. And so that's also harmful because, you know, people look at that and think, again, everybody Mm. has such a quote unquote perfect life. And then they'll sit back and think, well, why don't I have that? When in reality, it's not necessarily the case. I think YouTube's played into that a lot as well. I think it's because the idea when YouTube first started was that you actually saw a glimpse into someone's real life, if that makes sense. Like Mm -hmm. you, you know, you could kind of watch along. We're all nosy, curious souls. Oh yeah. And and the idea was, yeah, you know, really original and sweet. And, And you don't have that now, you know, you have kind of you have very rich people who are showing you two hours of their day that's glamorized and I don't believe the eat in a days. They really anger me, especially, I hate to say it, but I'm going to call it out. Models who do eat in a days really angers me. I think you shouldn't be doing this. Modeling in itself is an industry that probably should have some massive changes in it. And I did it. I kind of looked up, you know, when I was 18, 19, all these eat in a days by models. I wanted to know what they eat. They're harmful. It's harmful, these kind of videos it leads to young people following that and thinking that if they do that, they will then look a certain way. And YouTube as a whole, I think, has become a much more harmful place than it used to be for a young person, even as myself. Like I think, oh yeah, I, I know who they are. There's people that I like to watch. You know, we all enjoy YouTube and there's people that I think, well, I know them, but you don't, I don't know them. I, I watch a couple of hours of the day. Who do I think I am? But you're sold this and you're sold that it's real. And it's just as fake as a TV show. It's just as fake as all of us who kind of have hair and makeup and are different characters. And I think that in the last few years has definitely become another kind of harmful element. I think young people have so much to deal with now. I, I think I look back at me and I'm so glad I didn't, I mean, oh, I suffered enough as it so was and new people who suffered, but to now have to deal with all these different platforms and and there's so much more than there used to be. I feel like when I was a kid, you just had famous people. You had like rock stars, pop stars, and then like film and television. Now you have like TikTok and YouTubers. <laughs> and then, but, oh, it's, it, I don't know that everyone is famous or looks perfect. Is If I was 15, that's how I would feel. I would feel so inadequate. If anything, what I try and do now is just try and help and and show young people that they don't need to fall into this because I think it's so easy to and that's especially I suppose what me and Ella are working on with Faulty Roots which is a film around teen mental health is knowing it's so natural and like I said to you that nature takes over you know you can't force anything and and this idea of perfection isn't real 
and these people aren't happy 24 7 or living their best lives all the time everyone goes through struggles and and your path isn't the same as everyone else's as everyone else's seems to be this is the thing like you're sold that everyone is the same and that the path is the same and you know really shit things happen you know like sorry to get really morbid like people die or you might get made redundant or you you know things change in life you, do, you might feel like you're set at 23 but then t- you know in 10 years you don't know what's going to happen or where life's going to lead you so if you can get those foundations and like like you said earlier on if you can work on your mental health and, and be as kind of grounded as you can be and content with what you've got around you and, and I won't say happy because I think that happiness is fake I don't think we all I don't think any of us jump out of bed and feel happy I think I don't think that's a natural feeling you know when you're a kid and you're taught happy sad angry I don't even believe in that happiness little emoji thing I think to gain happiness you have to be content and balanced and and sometimes be a bit sad and have these kind of moments I think happiness is moments I don't think happiness is a feeling I think we're all sold a life and it's not necessarily that. And that's what tricks us. Well said. Yes, that was powerful. No, I agree. And I, I totally, I love that, that angle that you took on happiness where it, it's not a feeling. It's, it's a, it's like a moment. It's an experience, yeah. if you will, because you're mm-hmm. right. Nobody gets out of bed in the morning or if you do good for you, you know, if yeah. you, you're so excited about whatever, but that's, that's excitement. See, that's not even the same thing. And yeah. It's just not, a, like you said, it's just not natural. And again, was just another thing that for some reason, society as a whole is trying to push yeah. is just really confusing because we all feel the same things all the time. So why are we trying to force all of these unnatural things onto ourselves? Yeah. It's just yeah. making everyone miserable. It just doesn't make sense, you know? Yeah. It's the same as we're all told to be so busy now. Yeah. Like, I don't remember a time like... um my partner, his parents have a house in Austria and we went there. Oh my gosh, like it was so lovely. Like the shops are open for like three hours and then they're all having lunch together as a family and then they open for like another two hours and then they're all having dinner together and they're like all together. It's all like family orientated, all natural. It's not to do with working yourself to the bone and things like that. I think like Europe, America, you know, we, we're very much now of the idea of nonstop. There is no day off. You know, you work, you you fake it till you make it, you get there, you keep going, going, going. How can you be happy if you're never taking that time for yourself, you know? And there's only a certain amount of hours in the day, you know, whether we, we can't always have everything, but we're sold that we need to meditate. Then you need to, I don't know, work out. Then you need to make sure you moisturize. You do your full kind of everything. I I know that's so random, but everything, isn't it? I haven't got time to moisturize my body twice a day. It's not going to (laughs) happen. It's so... There's just, I don't know, there's so much reliant on everything it's just not realistic and everyone's welcome to take time out and to work one day a week if that's enough for them you know work part-time work full-time you know retire at 40 retire at you know whatever's for you that's fine you don't have to work yourself to the bone to feel you've achieved things in your life your achievement is having a family or just moving out or anything if your achievement 
for the last year is to have worked in a supermarket and have got through it and you know have been someone on the front line to have done that then massive congratulations to you because that was one of the scariest jobs to be in for the last year you know there's this these achievements that aren't recognized it's more recognized to have got views online by people you don't know than to have kind of you know be you know in the medical field and to have done everything you've done in the last year it's just it's a very strange concept yeah it's twisted it's very backwards you know likes Mm -hmm. on instagram in comparison to someone saving a life or you know risking their life to help others does not compare (laughs) so the fact that we continue to idolize these toxic things these things Mm -hmm. that are hurting our mental health on a daily basis rather than focusing on some of the good things that are happening in this world it just yeah doesn't make sense at all no no so I have another question how have you been promoting and spreading awareness regarding eating disorders to either youth or people your age or people in the industry I only started, if I'm being completely honest, promoting a couple of years ago. I think I was so deep in probably my own issues that to bring it up felt embarrassing. It felt kind of like, oh, did you? This is the thing. I feel like eating disorders are still quite stigmatized. It's something that I've brought up in conversations and it it finishes a conversation. Well, there's Mm -hmm. definitely a pause and a a change because it's it's awkward and people don't know what to say. You say, I've suffered with an eating disorder. It's like, oh, okay. So yeah, so around two or three years ago, I was speaking to a writer in Australia called Agata Zima, and she'd suffered with a kind of a devastating eating disorder, which led to her being hospitalized and strained the relationship between her and her family. And, you know, I said to her, you know, she'd written kind of a short film around it. And I said, I'd love to make your film, you know, if, if you wouldn't mind, and I'll make it over in the UK. And we'll do it. I was in it and my production house is our first kind of production. We made slightly longer than usual short film. It was a half an hour short film around Agata's story and uh, it did really well kind of on the circuit and we um, took it around a few festivals but I took it off quite early. That's not the aim that I had with the film. I didn't just want it to be a celebration of some acting on a screen or kind of sharing Agata's story. I wanted it to be more than that. So then what we did was we, a city in in the UK called Bristol, it's kind of very artsy, it's kind of like a small London. We basically hired out a place there and we screened the film and sold the tickets and had kind of uh, a big Q&A and we had like raffles and things and basically raised money for BEAT, which is kind of the UK's biggest eating disorder charity. In the UK, if you go to the doctors with suffering from an eating disorder, unless they can, you know, kind of hospitalize you or put you on a drip or deal with it in that manner, if it's more, you know, if your weight's healthy or if you're kind of overweight and things like that, there's not much they feel they can do for you. So then they give you straight over to Beat, the charity. So Beat actually deal with kind of millions of sufferers every year and they're just handed them from the NHS, yet they're not funded by the government or or kind of by anything. They're literally funded by the public. So, yeah, it's just crazy to me that we don't, you know, beat should be part of the NHS and should be a part of helping people. And, and it's just not, you know, like right now, I know there's, I think it's 1.6 million people suffering with an eating disorder just in the UK. So can you imagine worldwide? It just, it's baffling. Yeah, so we did that and we raised money for beat. And then I became, started working some more with beat and trying to open up the message as much as possible. So then I started going around talking about it more. I did a big piece for kind of a magazine opening up about my own story. And then 
it carried on from there and I went to TV channels to talk about doing an eating disorder documentary. And this was around kind of a year, a year and a half ago and got some interesting answers, some that irritated me a lot. I had one channel that, what well, I can't, what was the exact phrase? It was, um, don't feel like this is something we want to look into right now. I've never felt so angry in my life. I have never sent more a kind of, I'm sure I won't be working with that kind of broadcast media very soon if they read my answer. I, I sent a, a very, you know, I kind of said that, well, you know, sufferers, it's not their choice. They're not um, choosing to not deal with that right now. They have to face that every day and there should be something there for people. So, yeah, so that's what we've been working on a lot. It's such a long process and it it is frustrating. I think talking about that producing side of things that I've gone into now, it's it's really tough when you're passionate about something. So this documentary I'm working on, you know, and you're trying to convince people to make something. And the people we're working with at the moment who have kind of given us a chance have said that they've done something like it before, but they just didn't get people watching it. I don't know if it felt maybe the way they advertised it felt too heavy or something that people didn't want to know about. I think the way that Eating Soul has been portrayed in media when it comes to TV and film is very harsh. It's very hard. You know, it's very much, you know, you see that, that major aspect of it that, you know, someone puking, someone, you know, four stone, five stone, hospitalized. That's not a true representation of eating disorders in any way, shape or form. And this is the documentary we're working on is having something that even shows diet culture, you know, shows just everything, how in our lives we're obsessed with food. You know, you can't have a day out without thinking about what you're going to eat, you know, dates, food, meeting up with friends, food, everything is food related and that takes a toll on us mentally and physically to I don't know if it's the same in America but we're told our five a day and there's something called a I don't know if you have it maybe not in your kind of medical over there but we have like a BMI which is your body mass index you have the same yeah they're just so pathetic there's a massive petition to change that but it just makes no sense and talking about food as a whole and how it affects us as kind of human beings that's the idea of the documentary and and talking to everyone from those young teenagers and and children up to grandparents and how that's affected them throughout their life and that's what we're looking at doing now but like I say it's, it's a tough process because you're you're trying to convince people who care so much about money that people need this for themselves and that's very hard because when you look at media as much as people are starting to care about subjects and want to help destigmatize things, they still care about their profits and making something enjoyable for people to watch. I don't know if you've ever heard of Hollyoaks. It's a soap. So we have soaps. I'm sure have you heard of soaps over here? Yeah. We have something called Hollyoaks. And when I was in year six, so when I was 11, they did a massive storyline about a girl called Hannah who had an eating disorder. And it was for Channel 4. And It was her storyline that made me realize I had an eating disorder. It's mental to think that a soap weirdly really helped me kind of when I was suffering more from anorexia and starving myself. It was weird that that was what, like, why was that the thing? Why aren't we taught at school what these things are? Why aren't we taught about our minds and depression, anxiety, the things we can go through? It was just kind of a, a TV comedy drama program that taught me that. It's very strange. But that's, yeah, so that's what we're working on. And then I'm doing Faulty Roots with Ella, which is a feature film on teen mental health. And we've partnered with a social impact company to kind of try and get it around schools and try and help young people as much as possible and then also we've got mental health awareness week 
we've teamed up and we're going to be doing some Instagram lives to kind of make use of this kind of technological space to actually that I just don't feel like there's enough panel talks you know I think it's um podcasts have become such an amazing way that people can kind of listen to things and, and your podcast is amazing and it, what I love about them is they give someone a private sphere to listen to things you know they don't necessarily need to be telling everyone that they're listening to a podcast about mental health they can just have it in their ear they can be in public they can be in private and they can be listening to it but I don't feel like there's enough public spheres where mental health is being talked about when do you see big panel talks happening that you can get a ticket to or that you can online in person and be a part of that? And I know that there's thousands of, of just everyday people who aren't in the industry who want to talk about it or want to engage with it, know about it, have their stories told. So next week, we're going to be doing a week of Instagram lives with different specialists in different spheres. That's our aim for next week. I also have a film festival. So it's called the Cotswold International Film Festival. There's a massive gap at the moment where I feel like once someone gets super famous, like a director and a writer, they can just go to studios and get any kind of film or TV show made. And then you have these independents that are incredible and they're just not getting their content on those spheres, on those channels, on those streaming sites, theatrical releases. It's just not happening. So we're kind of there to kind of bridge the gap, hopefully, and, and give independence the opportunity and we've run for the last month two categories best mental health film and best nature film because that's the theme around this year's mental health awareness week and we're running a screening on the 16th of may of all the mental health and nature films just to allow people a, a kind of private sphere to watch these films and see what people are making and creating and allow that platform for people who have bravely kind of made these films because it, it you know you can get a lot of shit for making these films like I remember when I did Skinny World which is the short film around eating disorders there was that questionability that is that a true portrayal of an eating disorder and you can't say what's right and wrong whether it's a film on anxiety depression or an eating disorder there's there's no way or suicide that you know there's no everyone's story and that was the thing with Skinny World it was based off a true story and you can't debate it that was what she went through and whether that's the same as yours or different that's what this woman went through and we're just here to have an opportunity to to voice her story so that's sort of what I've been trying to do and it, and it is a battle because I've tried to talk more and more about this and, and go on more platforms and like I reached out to you and I've reached out to so many and I just want to keep talking about it and I think podcasts like yours are wonderful because they give that opportunity to have honest conversations and people know what they're getting. They're not being tricked into anything. The whole point is you're having a, a safe place to talk about mental health. So, yeah. Well, you're doing a lot. <laughs> I, I'm very impressed and I love that you're, you're kind of taking it from a, a perspective of early intervention, early mm -hmm. prevention, where you're targeting youth and you're speaking to the youth. I don't think people really understand how important that is, how many lives that could potentially save. Because I know, for example, for myself, I've struggled with anxiety and depression my entire life, started mm -hmm. in elementary school. And back then, mental health wasn't a thing. I mean, it was, yeah. but it wasn't widely discussed. I didn't even know what it was until I was about, I don't know, in my 20s, having these advocates such as yourself and directors and producers like you and Ella who are making it a point to break the stigmas literally 
by saying, you know, we're in the entertainment industry and we're going to do what we feel we need to do in order to make the positive change that we know is necessary. Whether people like it or not, we're going to find a way on how to do it. And I just want to commend you for doing that, for taking on that role and that responsibility, because I think that you all can really and truly pave a way for other people to follow suit. Yeah. And it's just so important because the earlier that we can educate and share these stories and normalize it and make other humans and especially the youth realize Mm -hmm. that this is normal. These are normal things to feel, you know, you're not crazy. You don't need to feel embarrassed. You have a lot going on exterior wise that are affecting how you're feeling in the moment. And when you're so young, you don't know how to verbalize certain things and so the more that we can spread awareness and advocate is I mean it will truly save lives so yeah you all are doing incredible incredible work thank you so much I mean all you can do is try and speak up and talk and we look back at being a teenager and think oh that was easy you know adult stress is now no like when you're a teenager and when you're going through that time it's the first time you've ever experienced all of these feelings all of these emotions everything you're going through whether that's kind of school your life you know you're you're told there's this pressure as well when you're 15 16 what are you gonna do with your life what, what are you gonna do who are you gonna be you know what are you gonna become you have to decide that i remember i had a headmaster and he had because there's so in the UK, you have like up to year 11 and then it's like college. It's called like sixth form. They had 11 chairs and he drew back every chair for every year that we'd done. And he got to like the 11th and he was like, this is the end. Like, you you know, <laughs> this is your future. You know, when you're told that, it's just so much pressure for, for young people. And they need to know that that we're all thinking of them and that, you know, they can come and seek help and talk about it openly. I'd love to see a day where... Instagram's just people talking honestly and and having lies of each other and talking about their day. And I don't know, I just think that that's what would be nice to see in the future. Yeah. Steering away from the filters and the perfect outfits and the materialistic things and just making it about real life again. Because I remember when Instagram first came out almost 10 years ago, that's what it was. You know, the filters were so shitty, like it almost made us look worse. But it was just like taking a picture of your food or your pets or, you know, whatever you all were doing that weekend. It was really and truly documenting your life, not perfecting your life to make it appealing to the mass. I hope it changes. But, you know, I think, again, with the more mental health podcasts that pop up and the accounts that pop up on social media and the movies that are being made and the organizations that are fighting so hard to break stigmas and spread awareness, I think we have a, a fighting chance. I really do. Yeah. Yeah, I feel the same. And and uh, I think people are, are getting there. They're talking more and we should have to keep battling on with it. And I think especially for myself with the eating disorder side of things, I think it's that little bit more behind and I hope we can kind of catch up in the next couple of years. I think it'll happen. I think it will for sure because also too, you know, 2020, and I've said this so many times, was a disaster. It was a Mm -hmm. shit show. It was a nightmare. It was awful for so many people. However, if you want to think of the positive aspects of it, it made people really reflect on their life and sit with their emotions because they couldn't go anywhere. (laughs) Yeah. So they really had no choice. And I think for a lot of people, it made them realize 
so many things about their mental health and that, oh shit, you know, I do need to go to therapy or I should talk about this and I do have a problem. So, you know, it brought things to light and I think it also made mental health a bit more elevated within society and you know, the entertainment industry, you know, you start to see more celebrities come out, you know, some basketball players, Demi Lovato is a huge advocate. Selena Gomez is a huge advocate for mental health. Even Justin Bieber is becoming more of a mental health advocate. So just seeing people with humongous platforms such as them starting to come out and normalize it is so important. So I think that there's hope for sure. Yeah. Like you say, I think it's great for these bigger stars and that to realize kind of the trauma that they've been through and, and that we all go through exactly and, and, and get to speak openly about it. And I hope it continues. That's kind of my biggest hope is that we just all keep talking. And, and another part of kind of, I suppose, 2020, which is strange, is that although we weren't there to see each other face to face, I felt like these bigger stars or these bigger people talked more, you know, they spoke more out, they kind of spoke more to their fans, they kind of were more open about their lives. And I hope that that continues, because I think it does raise some more normality for their fans to know that their lives aren't perfect. And and that we all have to slow down and that there's a, like we said before about slowing down and everything being 24-7, I hope that maybe these people that support and drive the 24-7 element of life so much have, have realised that slowing down is is a nicer way to live and to also not hone on to their fans like about that you know that it's okay they don't need to be on it on it on it 100 i couldn't agree more the last question that i have for you yeah. is do you have some advice that you've learned throughout your eating disorder journey or your mental health journey or just life in general that you could provide to the listeners if they may be struggling and you could potentially help them get through If I'm honest, I think the biggest advice I'd give to you, which is the hardest advice to give, is to speak to someone. And when I say that, I don't mean friends and family, which normally people always say is friends and family, but they know you and it might be too much for them to process. Sometimes it can be for family and friends. And I think if you're suffering, genuinely go to a charity, kind of ring them. You don't need to even say your name, anything like that. Depending on where you are, go to your doctor and and kind of get counseling, get therapy and talk through these things. And even if it's not that therapy finds where these issues have come from, they'll help you deal with the day to day, help you to kind of move on from it in the future, or kind of maybe look at the reasons why it began, the reasons why it triggered for you. And I think that we're a little bit more behind that than the States, I think. But in the UK, therapy side of things and the counseling and seeking that help, I think just needs to be more prominently said and done. And I think it can can really help. I think that's excellent advice. You know, for so many people, it's hard for them to reflect sometimes and pinpoint certain things and triggers and what caused certain things. So having a professional actually help walk you through these processes can be yeah. extremely beneficial. So that's great advice. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I really enjoyed this conversation. I like speaking freely and openly and talking to someone who's also just as passionate about society in particular, because it does so drastically affect everyone's mental health, whether we realize it or not. It just adds that additional unnecessary level of pressure. Yeah. So being able to speak with you about it today and eating disorders and your journey Mm -hmm. and the entertainment industry was really, really eye-opening and a fun experience. So thank you so much for joining me. 
No, thank you so much for having me. I feel like you've had an hour of an, a, a grumpy English woman, but <laughs> I've, I've enjoyed it so much. <laughs> You're not grumpy at all. You're just very passionate, much like myself. Grumpy? Yeah. Uh, no, not at all. <laughs> and I hope that you can pave the way for more people in the UK to begin to pick up traction about mental health and become more passionate just like you are because the UK needs that little shove and push and you and Ella and others just like you are, are paving the way. So keep yeah. on going. You're doing great work. So thank you for that. Thank you so much. And so are you. I think this podcast is such a great thing and, and congrats on it. And yeah, I wish you all the best with it. And thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you to the listeners for tuning in to another episode of the Wondering Mind podcast. Until next time, maintain your brain and keep on wondering. Thank you for listening to the Wondering Mind podcast. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you wouldn't mind just taking a few moments and leaving us a review, letting us know what you think of the podcast. Also, feel free to follow us on Instagram at the Wondering Mind podcast and on Twitter at TWM podcast.